Announcement. The revolution will not be televised. I repeat, the hemp revolution will not be televised. Welcome to the Hemp Revolution Podcast, the global hotspot for the buzz and the cannabis. Hear the secrets of the green rush from the dreamers who are writing the rules, innovating business, and changing history forever. Immerse yourself with the fascinating stories from the leaders in the hemp health revolution to learn how we are changing the game. Now here's your hosts, James Brinkerhoff and Sonia Gomez. What's up, guys? Sonia Gomez coming to you from Denver, Colorado on another Corona episode of the Hemp Revolution podcast, where we are sharing and telling the real story of cannabis and hemp through the eyes of the entrepreneurs who are transforming this industry before our very eyes. If you find yourself looking and searching for, searching and looking at the same thing, by the way, just in case you don't speak English, um, if you find yourself looking for products that you can depend on to deliver the results you're looking for, check us out at medicalsecrets.com. We are happy to help. And if you're a budding entrepreneur or a business owner in this space trying to break through some of the brick walls and glass ceilings, whether it's merchant processing and banking or marketing and advertising, we are here to help. Would love to find out more about who you are and what you're up to. Shoot me an email, sonia at medicalsecrets.com, and I'll look forward to connecting with you. Today, you guys, we have another amazing entrepreneur and change maker in this space um, who I'm super excited to introduce you guys to. As you guys know, we are extremely committed to sharing the truth about cannabis so that we can make educated decisions about how we care for ourselves and one another or otherwise figure out how to enter into this industry. So today's story is going to be from a new startup in the hemp space who joined forces with another farm last season to grow their first crop of CBD hemp like so many of you guys who have been listening, they will be growing CBG on their farm this season, deploying regenerative organic practices. They are reaching out to retailers who share their vision in order to form strong partnerships. They will not be pursuing significant vertical integration at this point, but rather see themselves as a valuable supply vendor, playing their part in the supply chain and showing a new face of excellence. Help me welcome my good friend, Dave Von Van Slyke. Ooh, I was going to say that, but then my tongue got twisted. Van, Van Slyke. It's like, it's like royalty. Dave, what's going on? I like the Von Slyke. I may go with that from now on. Hey, I'm doing yeah, it should, that should just be like your stage name. Hey, what's your name? Von Slyke. Feels like uh, Frankenstein from yeah. years ago, right? <laughs> Sir Von Slyke to you, my friend. Sir Von Slyke to you. <laughs> Madame, my lady. Madame. <laughs> Dave, tell us a little bit about, about who you are, what your background is, and how you ended up in this cannabis craze. Yeah, I'm an old guy learning new tricks. Old dog, new tricks guy. Um, I call There's myself, hope for us yet. Yeah, I call myself a recovering cabinet maker. Um, I stepped into my first cabinet shop in 1986 and went to work. That's 34 years ago for those who are doing math. Um, and I kind of bumped around in that world doing finished carpentry and cabinet work for a lot of years until uh, 2010. When the market left me, I didn't chase it. I guess I'll, I'll do it that way because the cabinet shop had become a real toxic environment for me. 
because of the exposure to chemical lacquers, all those kinds of things. For so many years, I started breaking out in contact dermatitis. And so every time in the cabinet shop, it'd be like having a bad case of poison oak or poison ivy. Ah. And uh, that got really unpleasant. So in, in 2010, I made a major pivot. And I started a company called Melrose Whole Grain, where I started this journey down the rabbit hole, this really esoteric uh, journey of restoring heritage grains that had fallen along the, the wayside. And nice. Yeah. So this has been a real weird experience for me because I've been in a world where there's a handful of people in the world that are doing heritage grain restoration. And it's kind of a nerdy group that's really scattered all over the globe. And then in the hemp space where it is crazy, busy, noisy, bumper to bumper, trade and paint, um, it's a crazy world. And it's just I go from a, a quiet cabinet shop <laughs> for 30 some years into kind of this quiet, nerdy, small grain development thing into the hemp space, which is just with my hair, what, what the hair I have left is on fire and gone. So anyway, that's, that's kind of the short story of where we're at. Amazing. So what were some of the, what were some of the crops that you specialized in, in the grain company? You know, we're still doing that too. I've kind of parked it. Um, on a side rail at this point, just because the hemp is consuming to me. Cause I, I tend to really obsess anybody who knows me will laugh when they hear this because I, I really nerd out and I do the deep dive on stuff. And, um, so we were doing and still are doing, uh, heritage wheats, uh, corn, rye, all those kinds of things. And there's a whole storyline about the green revolution and chemical farming and how that changed the face of nutrition how that changed the face of, of whatever this thing called sustainability is. That's kind of a moving target, how you define that. But uh, when we introduced synthetics into our, our food system, it made some dramatic changes, and we're paying a price for that. And so uh, we started looking backwards, and the older the grain, the more excited I would get. Um, some people have moved into the ancient grain world, which is like einkorn and emmer and those kinds of things. Um, we kind of, our starting point is about the 1500s forward, uh, with, with what we're looking at. A lot of this stuff comes from, uh, the 1700s to 1800s, um, in development. And needless to say, it's kind of hard to get those seeds. We get them out of gene banks all over the world and start growing them out. And, um, they're completely antithetical to modern farming. It's not about yield. Uh, it's about quality. It's about nutrition. It's about flavor. So we've taken those principles and applied it to how we view the cannabis space, specifically the hemp world. Amazing. There's a seed bank in Petaluma nearby where I used to live, um, and it's quite literally called the seed bank. And uh, I'm not sure if you've heard of them, but they, they have a, a, a literal vault with heirloom seeds in them. And I love it's like, one of the coolest experiences ever. They took this old bank um, that's like right on the corner of downtown and you got to check it out, the seed bank. 
awesome. in Petaluma, California. And they have all of these insane like heirloom, um, like flowers that you don't find anymore. And, you know, variations of vegetables and ancient squashes and all these ancient grains and grasses. And it's the coolest thing ever. My husband, who's been in, you know, permaculture design and likes to um, build food forests everywhere that we go. He's the one that turned me on to there and they sell these buckets of seeds that I'm obsessed with. They're like paint buckets of seeds. They're, in, they're insane. I love um, these people already. I love them. <clears throat> yes. Yes. It's so cool. And I was just on the, I was just on an interview with Morris Beagle, who is the founder of the NoCo Hemp Expo, uh, as well as the She Expo or the Southern Hemp Expo. And they have just done some incredible alignments with the World Agriculture Expo, as well as, as World X or Earth X, um, which is the largest celebration of Earth Day, as well as the largest agricultural um, uh, expo in the world. And they're really putting a heavy emphasis on um, international industrial hemp industry and looking at the other um, facets of hemp beyond its ingredients or cannabinoid profiles, you know, CBD, CBG, CBN, all of these quote unquote buzzwords that are popping up all over the place as a part of an advertisement when in fact, there's very little that the consumer understands about any of that. Hell, there's very little that we as the business even understand about it. Um, for you, what was the attractive opportunity that that brought you into the hemp revolution when you were already on? Like, are you in? How are you involved with with uh, the hemp industry? Are you releasing a CBD product? What is your vision and layout of your company? Yeah, that's a great question, Sonia. Um, kind of. To help window this conversation, uh, there was a movie back in, in 2001 called The Heist with Gene Hackman. Yeah, oh, yeah, good one. And his character, Joe Moore, was asked, how do you know how to do all this stuff? How did you get so smart? And he said, I try to imagine a fellow smarter than myself. Then I, I think, what would he do? You know, and so for me, that's really how I have viewed everything from cabinet making to the small grains now to him. So I try to surround myself myself in a constellation of, of stars that really have got their stuff together and learn from the experts and try to assimilate all this stuff. And there's a lot of noise in this industry. Um, my personal experience goes back to 1977 when I held my last joint of Acapulco Gold, you know, and that's in full disclosure, and got away from cannabis uh, all these many years. And then just fairly recently in the last few years, have embraced CBD because I've got a couple of blown up discs in my back and um, that has really helped to buffer that pain. And I've become a, a user of those products, uh, you know, tinctures, um, uh, even THC tinctures, those kinds of things. So uh, I believe in it personally. And I'd say that uh, as far as the plant goes, I've always been fascinated in it, I've been frustrated like everybody else with how we view uh, cannabis and specifically hemp, that's a real curious, odd story. And there's a lot of, a lot of urban legends of, of how it got negative along the way. But anyway, I won't bog us down there. Um, I, I wanted to do something in the hemp space, but I was waiting for the federal government to decide that that was something that they could support because I um, 
just didn't want to borrow trouble, I guess I say it that way. And so mm-hmm. with the introduction and the, the passing of the last farm bill in 2018, that was a game changer for me. Uh, it, it showed an opening for me to enter the space uh, in a way that was not going to be what I perceived to be adversarial with the federal government. That's turned out to be not quite accurate with all of the compliance issues that we're wrestling with right now. Um, that It's still a bumpy road. And we have a ways to go and, and testing and, uh, you know, all that, again, there's whole episodes and a lot of research about where we are with the USDA interim rules and on and on, on, but it's a great plan and I love it. Uh, but I still don't want to let go of my roots with the small grains because it's, it's really easy in a hemp space specifically to go all in and monocrop this to death. Um, and it's important to keep, an eye on the fact that when you get away from all the noise and all the drama, it's still a plant, you know, it's still an agricultural product and, and it can run in concert with and alongside other crops that are as important. Um, maybe not as diverse. I mean, there's a lot of uses for, for hemp. Um, but so it basically was to diversify what we're doing and obviously the profit stream, um, you know, the economies of scale difference between growing hemp and growing wheat and corn is astronomical. <laughs> I'll say it that way. Per acre, dollars per acre is much more attractive in the hemp space. Well, yeah. <laughs> it's the same, <laughs> same argument around cannabis. Like, people who have been in cannabis for a long time are like, ay Dios mío, the prices are just, oh God, we're only going to get $1,000 a pound or $500 a pound. And I was thinking to myself, like, when was the last time somebody sold like grapes or strawberries for five, you know a thousand dollars a pound? Our viable option on our property is five hundred dollar a year. Hey, that's our option. And so when you look at making five hundred bucks a year in hay off of a property versus whatever the potentials are, and even with market correction and market saturation, on on on, the hemp space provides an astronomical exponential, whatever word you want to use, potential for uh, economic gain. It's just, just, it's undeniable. That's pretty interesting to hear a newcomer into the industry express themselves that way. And perhaps it's because you still have baby fresh skin, but the, you know, the folks who have chapped hides about it are concerned that there is an oversaturation and the market would express that there is too much supply and not enough demand, but you coming into the market now still feel like there's a tremendous amount of opportunity. I think that the market, and I think the whole industry is structured like an hourglass. I think that there's an enormous amount of supply at the top end. I think there's an enormous amount of demand at the bottom end and a really narrow uh, distribution channel for us to get our product into the marketplace. And so as this becomes more mature, this is a brand new industry. We all know this um, at the scale that we're talking about. I'll say it that way. Um, As those distribution channels open up wider and wider and as the government agencies, alphabet agencies finally come online, the FDA and fill in the blank and decide that this is a viable product that needs support and needs the restrictions lifted, then I think you're going to see that even out more. I think you're going to see the uptake from the demand begin to gobble up and absorb a lot of that supply. Uh, that's my personal opinion. I don't know if that's accurate, but I, 
it seems reasonable. I hear a, a, a lot of talk about demand, you know, especially CBD is the buzzword that everybody's focused on. We're probably more focused on minor cannabinoids now and, and seeing the development. Yeah. Of that. Yeah. Um, but that will change over time as the industry matures. Oh yeah. This is, this is going to be very similar to like an ingredient list that we're going down. Folks are going to be hyped. At first we were all about the THC. Now we're all about the CBD and now we're going to be all about the CBG. And what we're going to find out at the end of running this race is that all cannabinoids are necessary to create the most change in any one biological ecosystem. Yeah. So any mammal needs to have a full panel of and profile of these cannabinoids. They can be rich in one or the other. However, it will take the entourage effect and having all cannabinoids present in order to invoke the most change, which is fine. In the meantime, people can get rich off of any one marketing scheme because at the end of the day, that's really what it's going to come down to is how you guys tell your story to whom and how you attract that who that wants to do the what in your business, you know, to, to hit that next level. And you're, that's what exactly what you're talking about is the distribution. Folks have a B2B or B2C model. Yours is B2B? Yeah, it is. We, we see ourselves as a vendor. And, um, you know, I have vertically integrated the grain business, and that's a very difficult thing to do and do it well. And so... Um, again, maybe it's old dog, new tricks kind of thinking, but I would rather slot back and become a value supplier to people that are really good brand builders and, um, build my brand within their paradigm, as opposed to creating yet another, uh, end user vertical integration, uh, product out there or series of products. I want to be a good supplier. I want to be a good partner with other, other brands. And how many acres are you cultivating of CBG, which uh, is your primary focus this year? Yeah, you know, we're still, I would say, technically in pre-production in this whole thing. And so uh, we started out with a, a, a raging one acre uh, last year. We put about 1,400 plants in, which in the hemp world is a rounding error in most farms, you know. And But that's my, a lot of it goes back to my philosophy, too, of, Instead of one guy growing 50,000 acres of a crop, I'd rather see 50,000 people grow one acre of a crop. And if you can do that financially viable, that obviously is very helpful. But there's, uh, there's more diversity and resilience in multiple players in a space as opposed to a big ag, big pharma coalition, you know, that begins to corner that. Um, and I'm not, that's a whole different discussion. I'm not concerned about that. I think there's a certain amount of commodity backdrop that we need in order to contrast the craft growers that I put myself in that category. So we're going to be, we're going into the, we're kind of starting all over again with CBG. Uh, it is a cannabis plant, but it's its own animal and it's a developing market. People are in the marketplace are just understanding to some degree about CBD. Now we add more letters into that mix of CBG. What does that mean for efficacy? What does that mean for this? What does it mean for that? Um, so we're going to be doing about the same thing. We're going to be on about an acre this year. Our master plan when we're going to conquer the world will be probably less than 10 acres. That's our, that's our master model. I like it. I like artisan farms. I think you can manage and maintain quality a lot better there. And it's not such a processing nightmare. Obviously people who are like, I'm going to grow a hundred acres. They're like, they've never 
they they need a quarter and like a half a million dollars worth of machinery to turn that into a, that's a different crop if you're talking about building like real artisan medicinal quality plants i i have to wholeheartedly agree with you i love you know 10 acres or less because i think you can really manage and monitor uh, quality control you know while still building a community ecosystem that allows the community as a whole to benefit and thrive from the work that you're doing just in that one place. Um, also really, really understand, uh, really understanding the need for regenerative farming practices as a whole in organic uh, or moving into more organic methods of agriculture. My husband's working in consulting as well as building into a regenerative um, Korean natural farming cannabis garden in the western slope and coming from you know the pacific northwest where many people have been involved with cannabis cultivation for years and years and year or decades multiple decades now legacy farmers um, have been utilizing you know these practices and brewing their teas and getting all trippy hippie with like their um, composting stuff. Um, how is re regenerative agriculture going to play a part in your guys' hemp farm? It's a complete paradigm shift. And that, that word has gotten beat to death in the last decades, but it's a game changer in my understanding and my really my introduction into the regenerative ag mindset. We've always uh, come from an organic uh, model uh, I'm not certified organic at this point because I just have personal biases about inviting the, the government into my life to certify that I'm doing what everybody ought to be doing. You know, I'm kind of a more local meet your farmer asking questions. How are you growing this? What are you putting on this for fertilizer? What are you doing sort of a thing? But um, I listened to a presentation by Jeff Lohenfels, you know, who wrote the, the trifecta, you know, series of books on, on, uh, you know, teaming with microbes, et cetera. And, I heard the, the phrase soil food web and Dr. Elaine Ingham name that came out of that. As I got started down that rabbit hole, uh, it opened up my understanding to a philosophy and a methodology that I should have embraced a long, long time ago. And I was, I felt I was doing a responsible organic version of farming, but by continuing to do annual tillage events and that sort of thing, I've come to realize that I need to move as aggressively as possible towards an organic no-till methodology. Um, so, you know, I've, I'm looking at uh, Rodale and some of the things that they've done. We're going to be going to that sort of a model. We're not going to be using uh, plastic row cover, which is kind of, that's the rule for hemp uh, agriculture. And there's nothing technically wrong with that philosophically it solves some problems but it also causes some problems on the other side in terms of uh, ecological discussions in terms of more, uh, soil microbiology health and those kinds of things so we're going to be doing a roller crimp uh, rye you know that we're going to be starting out with conservation tillage moving into no-till transplanting down the road and uh, doing something that not too many people do and I, maybe that's my pattern i just I, I take a hard thing and try to make it harder i guess maybe that's what i do but i'm convinced that regenerative ag um that's focused on, on soil health is critically important i think it's critical for us in our survival as a species you know that 
and, and that, that discussion goes off a lot of rabbit trails of uh, carbon sequestration, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't get bogged down in those discussions a whole lot. Um, have no intention of really being an activist. I'm too busy just being a realist, you know, and trying to live my life and understanding what I'm doing. But I believe in the science. And Dr. Ingham has had decades to prove out her theories, and they become methodologies that, that work because it's how the system works. And when you begin to see yourself as a rancher instead of a farmer to where your little herd of microbes are doing the work for you and making their world happy, they'll feed the plant and the plant will feed itself. And there's a symbiotic relationship between plant and soil that is, it's amazing. And so the best way that I can be the best farmer is to, is to work myself out of a job and get out of the way and, and let nature do what it's supposed to do and how it was designed to work. Yeah. Yeah. Let's do more of that because I will tell you what, um, Mark Shepard, who happens to be a master in restoration, agriculture, regenerative agriculture, Richard Perkins, um, the holistic management of soil and gardening, Alan Savory, and then dirt to soil, um, Gabe Brown, and then you can farm Joel Solatine have all been pioneers in this particular movement. And one of the things I'm most grateful to the coronavirus for is the fact that it is pulling families and farmers in to share and practice more of these methodologies, whether you're doing a backyard farm and, you know, families are starting to plant seeds again. Um, and the larger farmers are starting to think about how they can do what they've always done in a way that's healthier for the earth and for their ecosystem. Not to mention they're being forced into situations where they're having to reapproach their farming practices because of how little the earth actually has to give. I mean, we have been in such a panic about, um, about our environment and here just two, three short weeks into quarantine, we can already see how quickly the planet is starting to rejuvenate, which is totally fascinating to me. Um, Interestingly enough, with your production of CBD, which has been dubbed the mother cannabinoid and focused more on uh, and being recognized for its ability to address neurological issues. Talk to me a little bit about your passion beyond following the trend. What is it that's, that attracted you or is attracting you to working specifically with C CBG cannabinoid rich uh, genetics? Well, Sonia, for me, it's really personal at, a, at a, a family level. My mother died of Parkinson's in 2010, about the time that I pivoted from the cabinet shop. And my oldest brother, when he was little, had German measles and encephalitis and a real high temperature and, um, and created brain damage. And so I grew up in the world of Special Olympics and those kinds of things. And so neurological challenges have, have been my entire wheelhouse, if you want to say that. When I look at CBG and the potential for neurological regenerative properties, um, for me, that's, that's as personal as it gets. And we weren't into this vibe at that time uh, with my mom when she died. I wish we would have, frankly. I wish I could have brought some of these products alongside her. What that would have done, I don't know. Uh, I think it would have given her a better quality of life at the end. So 
I'm, I'm really excited about CBG. I'm really excited about CBN. Uh, I'm excited about CBDV. I, the, the more that we get to know about, you know, these 113 cannabinoids and 200 terpenes and 20 flavonoids and how they work together and how they work in isolation, uh, that's the future where this is headed, you know? And that's the one thing I think that come out of the farm bills and taking the legal restrictions off is we're going to see some real live science you know, uh, Ethan Russo has done fabulous work in this in understanding what's really going on at a, at a chemical and, and medical level. Now we're going to have a whole army of Ethan Russo's out there learning about this plant and all of its amazing things. This next 10 years is going to absolutely blow us apart in terms of our understanding about this plant and what it can do. And if we just can unbridle it and let it do what it's supposed to do, because the plant doesn't develop these cannabinoids to help us. That's not what it's there for. I mean, you know, THC and CBD and all these different cannabinoids that we're focused on, the plant uses those cannabinoids for, for its own health, you know, as, as natural pesticides and, and those kinds of things and disease resistance and all that. We harness those. And with our endocannabinoid system, we, we respond to that. And that's exciting. But just to learn what this plant can do and then take modern breeding uh, exercises to that, uh, it's, we're, on the, we're at the very cutting edge, at the very front end of a, of a pioneering of a whole new way of thinking when it comes to this plant. I'm convinced of that. CBG is the next iteration of that, and I'm excited about it. Um, but I'm excited about the other 112 cannabinoids behind that, that we're going to, and, and there probably will be more cannabinoids. I've, I've heard research where there's seeing stuff on, on gas chromatographic data that, that they see a blip and they don't know what that blip is. They know it's a cannabinoid, but they haven't identified what that is yet. That's what's fascinating. This plant is just slowly beginning to reveal itself to us. And every bit of it's exciting. There's just very little bad news when it comes to what these cannabinoids do. Oh, man, I'm telling you what, I totally agree. And I have personal experience. And, you know, it's been a while since I since I shared sort of what that is. So I'll let I'll let you know, since you shared in vulnerability with me, you know, my attachment to this plant is also quite personal. And um, being a sort of teenage rebellious surfing festival going girl. Uh, when I was, you know, in high school, um, I was enjoying cannabis recreationally, but didn't really advertise it to my mom or, you know, my community. It wasn't like a, yes, I like to smoke cannabis. However, when I was in a near fatal surfing accident and, uh, it triggered this totally insane seizure type syndrome within my body. And uh, I had to go toe to toe with the legal and medical system for my rights to safe access to cannabis after being taught by a neurologist about my endocannabinoid system, how to microdose, what strains, um, what strains to use at what time of day, how phytonutrients were affecting and stimulating my endocannabinoid system and therefore my immunity. And um, after three months of following this regimen, I was off all my medications. Without Within six months, I was off all over the counters. And within nine months, I had lost 97 pounds. So my life was completely transformed by the use of cannabinoid-rich um, you know, nutrients as well as products 
products. And so I firmly believe in diversifying our access and understanding to each one of these cannabinoids because I believe... And I also think that genomic testing and finding out how to pair the cannabinoid profiles with our blood types is going to be a huge evolution in, in uh, can, can, cannabinoid-based medicine. It's going to be a really fascinating time where I think histor- historical medicine practice, medicinal practices are going to be paired with modern day traditional mm-hmm. medicine. And we're going to find ourselves in a nice little hybrid that gives people access to both the information and the products. And you're right on the front lines of that as one of our farmers. Tell me a little bit about the challenges that you've been up against as a startup in the hemp revolution. What have been one or two of the top challenges that you've been up against in your time in this industry? You know, uh, years ago, Donald Rumsfeld was quoted in Reader's Digest, um, and this has become a famous, famous phrase of his, that there are the known knowns, and then there are the known unknowns, and then there's the unknown unknowns. You know, and so the known knowns are those things that we know. Those are the things that we read. Those are the YouTube clips. Those are the podcasts we listen to. Those are the known knowns that we know about and we can learn and uh, that's achievable and attainable. And then we, we have the known unknowns. There's, well, there's a lot of things that we don't know about this industry. For example, as this industry, industry develops, what this industry, how it even functions, you know, in a lot of ways, it's 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 kind of a dysfunctional family model right now of supply and demand and how that all works its way out. So there's a lot we don't know about it. We don't know where the prices are going to settle. We don't know how those markets are going to fully develop. We don't know what the federal government and the FDA specifically and the USDA, what they're going to do and when they're going to land on this. So those are the known unknowns. The one that kicks us in the butt and it kicked us in the butt, even at a tiny scale was the unknown unknowns. And um, realizing how labor-intensive uh, this plant can be to do it right, um, learning the difference between horticulture and agriculture, there's a difference. You know, the, the Latin word hortus means garden. Latin word agar means field. And so when you take a lot of empirical data and anecdotal data about cannabis growing, it comes from a horticultural perspective. When you apply that to field methodologies, it, it's a different economy of scale. And you have to do it different. You're, you're using different equipment. Um, I had so many friends around here who farmed it for the first time. And they, they went through the same trajectory that we even did. We set out to, to grow 600 plants our first year and do that successfully. That morphed into 1,400 plants. Well, we had friends that were going to do five acres and they decided to do 10. And we heard guys that did 20 acres last year and decided to do 50 this year. That was kind of the rule. And what it came down to for us noobs, um, especially the guys around us, were to just throw money and people at this thing at harvest time as much as possible. And the kind of this frantic, um, oh, crap moment of this is for real. This is happening. Um, and, you know, and when, when you're in the greenhouse and your little plants are coming up and you're just, yeah, you're so excited. And, wow, you're successfully growing something green. That's awesome, you know. And, and hey, we, we, the, the benchmark for this week is don't kill the plants. And we haven't killed the plants. <laughs> That's awesome, you know. And then you're reading about nutrition and you're reading about uh, you know, watering and all sort of thing. Then you go on your transplant and, oh, wow, that's a big deal. And, and then you start growing and you start weeding. You know, you walk through this whole thing and then you get to this point to realize that we have just a, a metric 
crap load of this stuff to deal with now, you know, all at the same time and do it in a responsible way. I'm so, it's so humorous for me to hear the, all the noise from people talking about their craft cured hemp smokable flour. And I know what these guys are doing. They're doing what everybody's doing. They're throwing in a barn, throwing some fans on it and buying some dehums and hoping for the best, hoping it doesn't <laughs> go moldy and rank, right? That's, that's a reality. And yeah, there's a few guys that are, that are doing it right. But, but, but when you step into field scale, it's a whole different world. It's a whole different world of harvesting and drying and all that sort of thing. So for us, I think that we weren't the exception. We were the rule. We were with everybody else that we just way underestimated the intensity of, of the harvest and the processing. So try to learn from that. Again, there's a reason I'm going small again this year. You know, there's a reason. And uh, my model is to align myself with brands that share our values in terms of regenerative ag and then to grow as they grow. And that's really how I want to do this. As their market begins to develop, then we'll expand our production more. This kind of this field of dreams, you know, grow it and they will come kind of philosophy is really foolish to do that. You know, I just, I'm just going to grow an enormous amount of product and jump on the open market and people are just going to be there clamoring for my product. Well, there's a lot of people this year that lost an enormous amount of money doing it that way. And there's a lot of people that got leveraged really high and that got backed by venture capitalists. And uh, there's horror stories. We have a, a farmer here in the area that, that committed suicide because allegedly he got tied in to uh, a group of people that were unsavory with high expectations and his crop failed and he thought the best route out was to commit suicide. That, that's a dark story. And so if there's any advice out there of what we've learned is to just, it's okay to be small. And it's okay to grow slow. And it's okay to not fall prey to, to the old adage or the new adage, with, especially with web marketing of, of fake it till you make it. You can do that when you're, when you're hitting keys on a keyboard, right? And developing web platforms. When you're growing this crop that needs so much attention at the tail end of its life cycle, um, if you're going to err, I would say err on the side of staying small. That would be my advice. Man, such good advice and such a real, like as far as cultivation goes, I've been in this for so long. I've, I mean, I got my start at the trim table of, you know, family and friend cannabis companies. And that's how I use, or not, not companies. When I say companies, I mean like, three hippies, like three hippies in a Smurf village with like, <laughs> you know, Trustafarians who grew their hair out and came to the West coast to like try their hand at, you know, Garberville life. Like humble, baby, humble, right? Yeah. yeah like, Oh, humble. Not, I call them the knob burgers. Cause they're like, nah, yeah, I got the best <laughs> stuff. And like, I fucking grew my purple with molasses. And I'm like, <laughs> fucking cool guy like how much you paying per pound when I trim this shit so I'm like that's where I got that's where I got my start and so I worked my way all the way up to being the harvest manager which can I tell you is 
the most stressful time because the growers are always trying to push it that one extra week to get it a little bit further down the line. And then this fucking frost comes or a hurricane or some sort of wind comes. And then you got to like be out there with all of the trim fairies at the same time, cutting, cutting heads off and freaking throwing them up on vines and trying to salvage all the top. And it's just becomes a frost comes two weeks early. You're done. You know, like if you don't have the right team in place or the right place to take the stuff, if you get a rain and can't shake your bushes, you're done. Like mother nature can devastate your crop. So I can totally relate with what you're saying. And so many businesses, especially on the agricultural side, did not consider harvest. One of um, my, um, I guess it would be my cousin-in-law, my husband's first cousin has the largest bean, organic bean farm. Uh, I think it's Pinto beans or black eyed something or other. Anyways, he grows all the, he has like 200 plus acres. It's the largest USDA organic bean farm um, in the state of Colorado. And he opened up some acreages for uh, hemp farmers this year and they blew, grew a beautiful crop. But when it came to harvest, the wind was blowing plants away. They had no dehumidifiers. They had nothing, nothing to harvest with. They had no place to take it. So it's, it's across the board. You're not the only one. Don't feel bad, but, and I agree with you a thousand percent, grow slow and build a brand within a brand. You hit on something that, that I talk about a lot, which is creating strategic partnerships that allows you guys to both grow and flourish at the same time and applying your skill sets to an ecosystem that complements the industry overall. Um, and so I think it's such a powerful business model. You already gave some key pieces of advice what do we have to look forward to this year with your product? Do have you already put some of your strategic partnerships in place? Are you still looking like what's the next thing that you are working to achieve to ensure that you have success the following year? Um, or at the end of this year is what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. Marcus Lemonis, you know, I don't know if you've watched him, the prophet dude on CNBC. Oh yeah. He has these three keys, a successful business of, of people, process, and product. And, and oh, that's, yeah. that's really important. And so it's easy to get focused on the product, but we're equally focused on, on the process and on the people and trying to bring the right people into our life and really develop proofs of concept from, from start to finish of the process so that we have a process that is wired with some flexibility, right? Because life happens. I mean, side note, we, we got hammered this year in Oregon uh, with with the mold with botrytis, I mean, we got hammered as an industry. Rain came at the wrong time in September, and it just the plants were wet, and it was just and it was warm, and it was humid, and it was just you could just feel the mold growing. You know, the mushroom guys, <laughs> the mushroom hunters. So it was a record year for chanterelles and stuff out in the woods because it was the perfect environment for growing nasty stuff. I mean, that in that case, that's not nasty, but yeah, but. But the process to scale, you have to scale a process, not a product. It's the most easy thing is to scale a product. You just buy more seeds. But to scale a process, that's really what we're trying to fine tune is to go from start to finish. We've reached out to a handful of brands that we really like, brands that um, present themselves in a way that really puts the 
the agricultural aspect on the forefront and they want to lead with that. Well, those brands are going to need reliable vendors. And so, and it's hard to sell an idea right now. And that's really where we are, you know, because the first thing somebody says is, Hey, can you send me some COAs and a sample? Well, we're not there yet, you know, but what we're doing is we're, I've reached out to a handful of players right now, good brands, um, that they're interested interest in what we're doing and they're going to want those samples and they're going to want those COAs when they're happening. And then we'll just grow from there. I, I really believe Sonia that what we're doing is, is a really good model. And I don't think I'm going to be challenged by trying to find market. I think there will be a significant market there that will grow on more and more over time. Um, right now, hemp is just kind of like, again, from my small grain world, it'd be like selling, a specialty wheat and selling it to uh, the big grain elevators, and it just goes into a big vat that says wheat. And, and, the, and the identity preservation, all that is meaningless because it's just wheat. I think that's where we are as hemp. It's just kind of hemp, you know, as a, in quotes, as a word. And the, all those different stratifications and distinctions between craft growers and organic and regenerative ag and all that, I think are kind of blurry right now. Those will become sharper and sharper in focus as you start seeing this marketplace take up our product and, and the demand become more discriminating and the suppliers becoming more discriminating and those partnerships starting to line up more and more as opposed to just a farmer throwing stuff on the open market and just kind of whoring out to whoever's going to buy the product. We're going to see people, and this is where I want to take the lead on this on the front end, is be very, very intentional about the people that we line up with. You know, it's easy for noobs like us to get in the water and think, oh, hey, this is so fun. We're swimming with the dolphins. This is great. We don't realize those are dorsal fins and those are sharks out there, you know, and <laughs> this industry is full of sharks. And I read horror stories on, on LinkedIn and other places, other platforms all the time about shysters, you know, and, and, you know, not, not to put any kind of a disparaging, uh, you know, shade on, on brokers, but, um, in a lot of ways, they're not helping the industry right now. Uh, in some ways, they're being very helpful in the industry. You know, they're linking people together. But I don't know how to word it, except we just want to be very intentional about how we grow. We want to be very intentional about how we process. We want to be very intentional how we grow as a business and who we align ourselves with and make sure that those brands are still conducive to where we want to be. And if they want to grow to a different scale, we get that. We totally get that. If they're looking for somebody that's growing 1,200 acres, uh, that's not us. There's, there's guys out there that'll take that on and they'll be those vendors. So we want people that are reaching out, you know, to small craft growers that are really making a commitment to do it right. So good. I have something to show you since you mentioned Marcus. Let me... See this picture right here? Oh, look at that. <laughs> <laughs> so you get what I'm saying with Marcus. And, right? You know, I love the guy so much. We both come from Greek families. So he's uh, <laughs> a man after my own heart. I love him so much. He's like just been such a powerful mentor. He uses um, that model in every business he goes into. Everyone. Developing people, process, and product. And all three of those have to be functional to have a successful business. And really, really, really clear too. It's, it's very clear. It's very black and white. So I commend you for approaching your business that way. And you're right. There is a, uh, lots and lots of sharks 
and uh, lots of blood in the water right now. There was a time where it was a blue ocean, but now it's becoming a red ocean and you have to become, you have to create a microchasm or another blue ocean for yourself within the industry. So I think what you're doing and staying true to your artisan uh, practice and uh, building slow and growing slow is going to really, really benefit you long term. Where can folks find you if they want to follow the journey? We're Homestead Hemp, Oregon. Uh, there's a Homestead Hemp out in New York, and, and I love those people because they chose a really great name. I wish I was the only Homestead Hemp in the U.S., but we're <laughs> Homestead Hemp, Oregon. And so uh, we're on LinkedIn. Actually, it's Dave Van Slyke on 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 LinkedIn. Um, you can find us on Instagram. We haven't stood up a website at this point, um, because I'm just too busy focusing on process, you know, at this point. And I want to be very careful to, uh, under promise and overproduce. That's really where I'm at right now. Um, years ago, the TV show Alf gave the best business advice I ever heard. He said, find out what you really suck at and stop doing that. You know, and I think <laughs> is, you know, determine what you're good at, but it's even more helpful to find out what you're really bad at. And then just stop doing that. Just don't try to be all things to all people, you know, figure out who you are, figure out who your tribe is, who's your community people you want to network with and don't try to be all things to all people. So, um, frankly, that's one thing that scares me about my conversation with you is this is a big platform that's intimidating to me right now. But um, I'm, I'm honored and I'm humbled that we're having this conversation and, you know, we'll just take it as it comes. Man, I'm going to tell you what, I'm so excited to have you on the show. And I think this is a perfect place for you to get your feet wet and talk about that. I mean, you, you really dropped quite a bit of value in this conversation while, you know, talking about important issues in the industry and in, in, in the world as a whole. So I really appreciate how you approach this opportunity because it's extremely value driven. And for those of you guys who are tuning in, the, the pieces of, of gold that were dropped here, I implore you to pick up and take note on because this is the difference between the people who are like, you know, I compare this kind of, I compare Mary Jane to a woman hemp, cannabis, whatever you want to call her. She is like the most demanding mistress in a marriage, <laughs> you know, like doesn't matter what I need is the wife girl, like the freaking cannabis or um, Mary Jane is going to need something else for longer. So it's just such an intense relationship. And then beyond that, most of the business owners are like 16 year old boys in bed with a naked girl for the first time. <laughs> They're just like, Oh, and it's over before it even gets started. And then they're in trouble. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, here we are, the whole lot of them have come in, impregnated the industry and are trying to figure out what to do with themselves now that they're in trouble. And I think, you know, I really think that it's important to um, take sex ed. No, and use birth control. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, but <laughs> don't, don't allow your don't allow your excitement to disrupt the potential for success. You really have to take your time and um, pl carefully plan how you're going to make an impression. And notice how these things that I'm saying are relative to asking the girl of your dreams out on the date and sealing the deal is very, very similar. You have to carefully plan and consider 
how you're going to leave a lasting impression in the industry with the plant on behalf of the person who has the problem that you want to solve. Whether you have a B2B model, model or a B2C model, it will never, ever, ever get you outside of that triad of who do you want to solve what problem for and how, when, with what product. And the most important subject of it all is why. Why are you going to do what you're going to do the way that you're going to do it? And is that why strong enough to capture and connect with your ideal customer in a way that will convert them into a sale? Not once, but over and over and over again. So... I implore you guys to continuously work on the vision of your company, continuously work on the mission, Um, you know, grow slow, measure twice, cut once, you know that from being a carpenter and, and a cabinet maker, you measure twice, cut once. And I'll tell you what, the materials for success and the tools are for success are available at a fingertip. You must use discernment and you always have to ask your question seven layers deep. Why am I going to invest in this? Why am I making this next choice? Who am I actually competing with? If you're competing outside of yourself, you're going to find yourself in a lot of trouble because everyone has access to different types of resources. But if you decide to follow the very simple advice that you just shared, do what you are best at and build your team around you to fill in the gaps of the areas that you're not so strong in, you will find yourself successful far faster and for far longer than your competitor. Compete within yourself and inside of your team rather than externally. Keeping up with the Joneses never worked with anybody. So those are my words of wisdom. Say one more time where folks can find you and follow along with you. We are Homestead Hemp, Oregon. And again, Instagram is the place. We have very little content, but again, I try to be very intentional. And um, I put it together almost like a blog format so that our our pictures and what we talk about um, are really telling our story and our journey of where we're starting. For example, the most important farm implement that I bought our first year was a microscope. That's our most important one so that we can really do the deep dive literally to see what our soil looks like and move from there. So that's, that's who we are and that's where we are. Amazing. I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on the show with me today. I'm so honored to have you on. Really excited to continue to follow your success and congratulations on all the things you have done thus far. Um, And for those of you guys who are a part of the Hemp Revolution community or Medical Secrets family, thank you so much for being here with us and for tuning in. I invite you now to take one simple action, like and share this video, as well as tag five people that you believe this will make a difference for, even if it's to bring just a spark of joy into their day. As you know, it is our mission to empower you with the truth about cannabis and hemp so that you can make educated decisions about how you care for yourself and the people that you love or otherwise participate in the growth of this incredible industry. Check us out at medicalsecrets.com for more information or access to products that you can depend on to deliver the results you're looking for. And if you're a budding entrepreneur or business owner in this space, I'd love to hear your story. Sonia at medicalsecrets.com is where you can find me and I'll look forward to connecting with you. I'm your hostess with the mostest, Sonia Gomez, and this is The Hemp Revolution. We'll see you on our next show, guys.
Thanks for listening to this episode. We took notes on this episode for you, along with all the links and resources mentioned in the episode. Get them free on the show notes page here at www.medicalsecrets.com. If you love this show and our content, please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really want to help us get the message out there, please rate, review, and tell all your friends. With your help, we can continue to reach the world with our message. And until next time, we hope you join the hemp revolution, and we challenge you to dream big and love the life you live.